So if you take that smartphone in your pocket and go to Google Maps and look up Istanbul, Turkey, you will find that Istanbul, Turkey has the unique distinction of being the only city on the planet that simultaneously sits on two different continents. To the east, Istanbul sits on the edge of the Asian continent, and to the west, it is the edge of Europe. And separating that city between those two continents is a body of water, a channel, if you will. To the north is the Black Sea. To the south, ultimately, if you follow that piece of water far enough, you get into the Mediterranean. But Istanbul, also formerly known as Constantinople and Byzantium, and that center of world power for many, many years, is a unique city. I found myself on that channel of water, actually on a boat on that channel of water in July of 2009, having to make a decision that was a little bit daunting. I had been on tour in Turkey and we were finishing the tour out by spending a few days in Istanbul and checking out some of the historical sites there. And our tour guide had set us up for a boat tour of both sides of that city through that channel of water. Palaces were there, ancient palaces, center of power, all that stuff. You could see all of those sites. And so he decided it would be best for us to do that from the water. And so most of us know the ferry that goes over to Galveston. If you modify what you know about that boat, you get a general idea of the boat that I was on. It was not designed to carry vehicles. It was just designed to carry people. So the top deck was open air seating. There was some uh, sheltered seating underneath that. Uh, The bridge was up front. That is the bridge to the boat. And the captain and his crew worked from there. And uh, somewhere along the process, I'd been with that group of people for about 10 days already. I had had my fill of most of those people. I'm sure they had had their fill of me. And so after a little while on that boat, seeing those sights, I mean, after all, sooner or later, they all look the same from the water. I found a place to sit on the leading edge stairs that went up to that open air seating. And I'd been sitting there, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes maybe. It was cool because we were out on the water and the boat was in motion and so the air was coming across me and I I was enjoying it. When all of a sudden a commotion occurred behind me, yelling, uh, and then I almost got run over by one of the crew of that boat, a Turkish guy who came bounding past me to go join the yelling that was going on up behind me in just a little bit. Another person, uh, this one was one from our um, tour group, ran past me, and I'm nosy just like you are, so I thought I better go see what the commotion was. And so I rounded, I was probably about 10 steps to the top of that, and I got around to the corner, and in that bridge area where the captain should have been driving that boat, I actually saw him and two of his crew and our tour guide who was bleeding profusely from his face. Now, that's decision time. I decided that maybe I ought to come to the aid of my tour guide because after all, if something happened to him, I didn't speak Turkish and I knew that I would be lost at sea 
with those people. And so another guy from our tour jumped in and we physically separated the captain of that boat and our tour guide, and both of whom were yelling at each other in Turkish. And if you don't know what that sounds like, uh, it, you, you just can't imagine the high drama of that moment. The captain came bounding across the top of us to take another go at our tour guide, and he's yelling, and they're swinging, and we are trying to keep some semblance of order there when I look up and I know. Now, this you should know that channel of water is internationally uh, busy with freight. So large ships, small ships, back and forth through there, notoriously dangerous um, currents running through there. And as I'm trying to help bring some order and at least a little bit of safety for our tour guide, uh, I notice no one is driving the boat. And I thought to myself, always wanted to drive a boat. <laughs> and so I thought seriously, as a matter of fact, I made a move towards the wheel of the boat because we were headed towards trouble. And then it dawned on me. I, I wonder if this would be considered international piracy. So I fought the urge and did not try to steer the boat, but we did try to get some kind of semblance of order there. Throughout the process, and not just up to that point, with this confrontation that occurred between our Turkish tour guide and this Turkish captain, who were clearly, literally at each other's throats, what was our attempt to understand what was going on, but none of us spoke the Turkish language. We made our way. The tour was over, by the way, at that point. And so the captain and some of his guys finally got him settled down. And so he made for the dock where we had departed from several hours before that. And as we made our way up to the dock, we could look out there and we saw that there was a host of police officers waiting on our arrival. But not only were there a bunch of police officers there, there also was a gentleman who was dressed actually very, very nicely. And as it turns out, that gentleman was the owner of the boat company. And he began to have a conversation in Turkish with our tour guide, who at least we had been able to dress his wounds enough that he was able to, to kind of work through it. He ended up he had severe cuts and a, and a uh, concussion uh, but as it turns out, in the long and short of it all, what had happened was the tour guide who had done business with this boat company for many years had asked for and paid for a particular tour on the water. The captain decided he didn't really want to give that tour that day. And what happened then was this professional breakdown of respect between those two guys. And they resorted to the more primal instinct of just going at each other. The nicely dressed guy who was waiting on us had a dual function. First of all, he was the owner of that boat company, as I said, but he was also the captain's father. You know, um, when respect is lost or refused to be granted between two individuals, trouble is sure to follow. 
Unfortunately, many churches replicate that scene on the water that I live through on a weekly basis. People show up to church and may well encounter a lack of respect or even flagrant disrespect that is directed toward them. And when that happens, uh, problems occur. It's always the breeding ground for contempt and conflict. As true as that is in our day, it should, I guess it probably doesn't give me that much comfort, but it does help me a little bit, consolation-wise, to know that that's not unique to our times. As real as that scenario is in our times, it obviously was equally so in New Testament times because we find in the book of 1 Corinthians, and if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me. But in the book of 1 Corinthians, we find the Apostle Paul as he writes and speaks, if you will, into a a situation in a, a series of house churches where they had little to no respect for one another. Well, that's not an exact statement because the reality is they had multiple factions within their church and those factions had no use, no respect for the other factions. So Paul writes, even from the very first chapter, he starts talking about and highlighting this sense of, um, of division that's there. And he highlights these various groups that are... Uh, not interacting healthily with one another. And Paul essentially says that cannot be the norm. Now we're going to get to that passage in just a few moments, 1 Corinthians 12. But before we do, let me make sure that we're all on the same page. We're in our summer series where I am trying to help lay out for us some key values that as a church we either have already adopted or we must adopt if we're to be healthy. And these values, pillars, as I'm referring to them, help to create a culture. In other words, these values drive the way we handle ourselves. And so when we come to do church with one another, these values have to drive us because those values create a culture. And that culture then has to affirm the identity that Jesus has given us. Now, I want to make sure you hear this, and I've said it every week, I think, in this series. We don't get to choose what that identity is. Jesus has already given us the identity. We are his children. In Matthew, he says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. That's not up for discussion. That is our identity in Christ. Paul, in another place, will use an identifying term and say to us, we are ambassadors for Christ. That is our identity. But the culture that we create, that's based on the values that we affirm, that culture that we create may very well... I guess we could even abandon our identity as given by Christ. But it makes sense. It seems smart to me that we adopt values that build the right culture so that we affirm who we are in Christ. And so the first pillar, the first value that we looked at a number of weeks ago now was the one that says people matter. It's simple enough. It states itself well. It's just hard to pull off in some churches. 
when there is a lack of respect, and we're going to get to this in just a few moments in a lot more detail, but when there is a lack of respect between people within the body of Christ, then what we communicate is that people don't matter. Well, at least some people don't matter. And so we start there. People matter, so we should treat them as if they do. And then we built three other pillars alongside that one. Actually, that's the one I said when we started. That's the umbrella. And we have several that kind of come in place underneath that. And one of those was the fact that we are growing because people matter. When we come to church, the, the uh, value that we have, the atmosphere we want to build is that we are a growing people. We are on the move. And that's not talking about numerically. It's talking about spiritual growth and moving toward maturity to be exact. And not only are we individually and as a corporate group to be on the grow, we also are to be growers as we saw last week. We invest ourselves in one another. We help other people along the path towards maturity. And that pulls us to that statement that says we can't do this alone. It is, there are no Lone Rangers. That's the first four pillars together. So today we make a bit of a jog to the side and it's still under that part that says people matter but now the key controlling idea, the uh, central theme, the thread that holds this fabric together, if you will, is built around this idea of respect. So let's, uh, let's get to the passage first and then we'll come back and hang a few things on it. So here's what Paul says. In chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 12, Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Or the church is another way to take what Paul says there. Verse 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the, beer, if the ear, not the beer, if the ear should say, got a bunch of Baptists excited there. Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. In other words, it doesn't matter whether you say you're part of the body or not. If you are Christ's, you're a part of the body. We're going to come back and try to flesh that out in a minute. I could keep reading, but that's the general idea that I will return to the passage shortly. Let me make a couple of comments here. Let's make sure that we're using... Uh, or we're all on the same page here as we talk about this. So, so um, my grandson is visiting with us. I always like it when Declan brings his mom and dad with him. But whether he brought them or not, he's always welcome at my house. So Declan, as most of you know, is just over one year old. And um, his mama showed this new trick that he has. It's interesting how we put dog stuff onto kids, but uh, as a one-year-old, he's developed a new trick, and I have enjoyed helping him practice his new trick over the last couple of days, and that is this. If we shake our head like this at him, now, a one-year-old, or at least this particular one-year-old's motor skills are not fully refined yet. 
All right? And so when we do this, okay, for those of you listening by radio, I'm just shaking my head like we shake our head no. All right? So when we do that to Declan, his response is to shake his head no, but the motor skills are not all there, and so his shaking his head no looks more like a bobblehead. Okay? So he's, he's all over it. He's smiling and winning the moment. You know, it is too cute. But that's because he's one. If he tries that with me when he's 11, and I'm saying to him, Declan, don't do that, and I shake my head, and he shakes his head back at me and tells me in no uncertain terms, mind your own business. Well, let's just say that it'll be a come to Jesus meeting at that point. (laughs) So um, let's start there. And specifically, let's start there with this understanding. Now he's mimicking. And he knows that he's good for a laugh when he does that. But if he's 15 years old, Let's take him off of my grandson. Let's put him on your children. If you have a 15-year-old who you say do such and such and that kid looks at you and says, no, I will not, that's not so cute anymore. As a matter of fact, we call that in my house, well, we call that death. That's what my wife just said. Throw the word right out of my mouth. So um, the word is disrespect. Have you noticed that our world seems to be going headlong into disrespectful behavior, especially towards authority. So the word disrespect has the idea of contempt or disregard. I learned, let me give you an example or two of this. I learned when I came to East Texas that there is a certain amount of contempt for those fans of the LSU Tigers for, well, you tell me, who gets the disrespect of the LSU Tigers? It's that team that has all the national championships. Some of our people are Alabama fans, and so our LSU fans go, well, you know what, we respect their right to be wrong. And that's, you know, that's really no big deal. That's just good-natured fun, right? Um, how about this one? Let me just throw this one out. Let's see where your head is. See how easily disrespect starts seeping into our Christian sensibilities. When I say to you, hashtag Black Lives Matter, Does disrespect or contempt begin knocking at your door? So let's put it right back on us just to ask this question. How likely is it that anybody might show up at any church in America today and be disrespected? How likely is it that somebody might show up at church, whether a long-time attender or a first-time visitor, and I'm not just talking about us, I'm just talking about 
church in general, and specifically Christian churches, who, who somebody would show up and somebody in that church treat them with disrespect, with contempt, with disregard. I, I'm afraid that the church at this particular point has allowed the value system of a lost society to inform what we think is okay. So many people damaged by church people and it boils down to disrespect. So what we shoot for, the, the value, the pillar around which we build part of our culture has to be that we operate with inherent respect for one another. Not just for that person who sits across the aisle from you or next to you or in front of you or across the building that you look at and go, oh yeah, those are my people over there. I'm also talking about everybody between you and that person who you look at and go, yeah, I just don't know too much about that. Um, so I'll just treat them as if they're not there. Th those are the things. I, you know, we, we come to this and our society is so at odds with one another that we've lost the idea that we should respect each person. So we start setting up this scaffolding around which we will decide who gets respected and who doesn't. That's part of my, part of my problem is one of, the, one of the definitions that I looked up for this. You know, definitions these days are amazing because you can Wikipedia a definition and make it what you want it to be. Here's one for you. Respect, this one source said that respect is a, listen very carefully, listen with both ears for a moment. This definition, according to this uh, source, says respect is a feeling of deep admiration. First of all, I got a problem with the a feeling of. Respect is a choice made, not based on emotions. A feeling of deep admiration for someone or something, listen to this, triggered by that person's abilities, qualities, or achievements. You know what's wrong with that? It's not especially Christian. That's what's wrong with that. The idea there is that I only have to respect you if you earn my respect. But you see, Paul is writing in this 1 Corinthians, he's writing to a church who operated that way. I don't have to treat you with respect. Now, that's not the wording that Paul uses there, but the entire letter is written to a group of people who were disrespecting and dismissing one another. And so, their point of reference would be, well, you're not part of my group. Here, be careful. You're not part of my group, so I can treat you like you don't matter. You're, after all, one of the inferior parts of the body. I'm an eye. You're just a big toe. And Paul says it can't be that way. A couple of weeks ago, it was the day that we had our Sunday afternoon committee meeting, that monthly thing that we do. And uh, it was my day to cook lunch that Sunday, so we went out to eat. And after we got through being out to eat, I got home and flipped on the television. I just had a little window of time before I'd be back up here. And one of my all-time favorite movies was on TV. I've seen it many, many times. And yet I sat there and made drug Teresa through another viewing of 
this favorite show of mine, Remember the Titans. It's a good show, good movie for America to watch today. Because it's a movie that's really centralized in the story is about this small town that is now in Virginia that's going through desegregation. And so the, the black Americans are going to have to go to school with the white Americans. And the white Americans will have none of that. And somehow these two coaches have to come together with this high school team for this newly formed high school. And they have to figure out how to make it work. And it is nothing but conflict. And I love the part of the story where the two leaders of the football team, not the coaches, although they had their own thing going on, but these two high school kids, the one who leads the black part of the team and the other one who leads the white part of the team, and those two guys, Vertier and Marcus, have to figure out how they're going to do this. Boy, there are sparks galore when it comes to that. But through the course of that movie and over the course of that season, based on the true story, by the way, those boys figured out how to respect one another. I have deep concerns about our country on this point. It's okay. I used to get in trouble for using this word. It's stupid for us to think that this is going to fix itself. If this country is going to get this right, Christians ought to be leading the way. But so many churches are disrespecting each other. We're not even thinking about fixing our society. So here's the good truth for you. When people matter, respect will be front and center in the church. So what I've done with just that statement is I've moved us in this whole picture of the culture and the pillars that we're trying to create and that first one that stands kind of alone, the other three that we put with it about growing and all of that, now we're stepped off to the side and we're saying part of when people matter, we have to treat them like they matter. When that happens, now we start talking about what it looks like to pull that off. And respect is the word that drives this. But here's the deal with that. This is going to get messy. And so today is really kind of the introduction into this new deal. And for the next two weeks, we'll try to flesh it out a little bit. But, but this just gets messy. And the reason it gets messy is because when we commit ourselves to handle people well, because they matter, then we start investing ourselves in them to help them grow. You remember all of that stuff? But when we do that, we start immediately running into the reality of they don't think like I think. Okay, now, if we're not careful, because they don't think like I think, there's already division in that statement. But if they don't think like I think, then the question is, so who's thinking rightly? In other words, whose thoughts get to rule the day? We ran into this when we lived in the Rio Grande Valley. It's Hispanic culture, 95 plus percent of our, um, of the, of the, 
population where we were was Hispanic. And so here we were, reason me, the West Texas oil field white trash, moving down to the valley, and we go down there with this bunch of little kids with us, and we put them in school. Lauren, probably the only white girl in her class, I'm guessing, most of the time. Okay? We were the minority. So we started running into these differences. Here's one that was hard for me to get a handle on. It was a little hard for our kids. We put our kids in some rough situations. We know that now. We look backwards and we go, well, we were probably rough on them, but boy, look how great we did as parents. <laughs> Teresa used, here's Teresa's favorite thing with our kids. When she needed their attention, she would say, you look at me right here. And she'd point at her nose. And if they weren't looking right there, she'd get down on their level. And if they still weren't doing it, she'd grab their face. You look at me right you look at me. It was like that. I saw it. I was there. I was just glad I wasn't the one having to do that. Here's why that stands out in my memory. Because we lived in a society down there where looking an authority figure, your parent, a boss, in the eye was disrespectful. I figured that out when I started coaching their soccer teams. And I would try to teach this kid about how to, you know, something easy, like kick a soccer ball. And they wouldn't listen. And I would say, look at me. And they wouldn't look, and they would just divert their eyes. And it was, you know, always general direction, but they look looking off to the side. Oh, I just, I wanted to get Teresa after him. Look at me right here. Okay, you know what? Was I right in expecting that for them, or were they right in expecting not to have to do that? And the answer is yes. It's just different. But this is what happens in church. Because people start coming to church. And if we're not careful, we start judging people based on some things that really are not, they're not worth fighting about. We, we encounter differences when we encounter backgrounds with different values. Here's how that plays out in a church setting. Get really practical for a second. Let's, let's say, uh, so I'm going to ask this question, but I don't want you to answer it out loud, okay? Just deal with it in your own head there. What is the Crestwood way of raising your children? That is, is it hands off, let them do what they want? Is it shackle them to seats when they sit down and chop off an ear when they cross you as a parent? Or somewhere in between those two extremes? The reason I want to use this as an example is because this is the one that is most likely to jump up and get us if we're not aware of what's going on. Here's the best answer to the question I gave you. What's the Crestwood way of doing this? We don't have a Crestwood way. You just got to know that. Okay? I'm not up here telling you, you should parent your children the way I parented mine. Now, you're crazy if you don't, but if you don't want to, then... <laughs> 
No, my daughter's down here. You're happy to, I mean, you're welcome to come talk to her, and she will tell you don't do things the way my daddy did them all the time. Okay? But uh, nobody's smart enough to be all wrong, so we got a few things right. But here, here's what I want you to hear from that. When we reach a family, let's say a family walks in off the street driving by, hey, there's a church, let's go to church. And they come in, and they have children, and they don't deal with their children the way you do with your children. How do you respond to that family? And the answer is you tend to respond to them the way you deal with your own. And if those are at odds, let's say you're the one who lets your kids do whatever they want. You know, just if it feels good, do it. By the way, that didn't work in the 60s and the 70s. It ain't working today, but if that's whatever. So just no constraint. My kid needs to express himself. Okay, express himself. So be it. But that parent sits next to another parent whose kids... (laughs) are like soldiers. Teresa used to talk about her daddy thumping them. Anybody had dads who thumped? Pow! So that parent's not even going to dream about letting their kids express themselves. So what happens there? As in individual lives, as a parent, you have the ability to do whatever you feel is right as long as it's not illegal. But when we come to church, parent A who does it one way, parent B who does it another way, everything's fine until they get out of the car, they come into the church, and then parent A and parent B start bumping into one another. And there's sparks there. Who gets to decide the right way then? Respect needs to be at the intersection of those differences. Because if there's no respect there, then those sparks become explosions. And what's left behind is a damaged fellowship and a destroyed witness in the community. Paul writes, the the theme throughout Paul writing the book of 1 Corinthians with all of the problems that they had, his theme is, you guys are killing each other, and that's not good. But in the process of killing each other, because you're divided, you're also killing the cause of Christ in your community. Paul says, that's not acceptable. That's not ever acceptable. And so what that means is we, and I just use parenting as one example. I could use how you do your marriage, I could, all kinds of different things we could talk about with this, but the reality is we come in here and when we do, we bump up against different approaches to living and when we do that, there are sparks there. That's always going to be there, but respect says, even though I don't do it the way you do it, I'm not going to destroy you because you don't do it my way. So, let me ask our musicians to come on up and let me draw this down. We're going we're gonna to move over the next two weeks to flesh this out even more. How does this look if we get it right? Now, let me say it this way. We can have conflict, those sparks 
with the explosions. We can have that. Matter of fact, most churches that I know anything about have a lot of that. Some churches have more of that than they ever should. But what we need is fruit salad. <laughs> my, my mom used to do a lot of cooking. Uh, but by far, my favorite dish that she ever made was fruit salad. Okay? Now, I like bananas and apples and pears and stuff okay individually. But man, when mama made fruit salad, put Cool Whip in there and some pecans, whoo, man, I put that in a syringe and run it straight to the bloodstream if I could. You see, here's, okay, so now I'm finally going to give you the value statement. Okay. We must respect diversity, but we demand solidarity. You, you catch the difference there? Solidarity is the fruit salad, okay? I don't want, <laughs> I don't want the oranges in my fruit salad to taste like bananas. I need an orange taste. And so you may be the orange in our fruit salad, but some of you are clearly bananas. <laughs> it takes all of us. And your little distinct pieces of who you are, I may not like the way you do your children. That's fine. I'll stay away from you and your children. If they're around, I'm going somewhere else, okay? I'm good with that. You should be good with that, if that's what it is. But the problem is it's usually on little bitty things. Well, you know, so-and-so, they, they don't butter their bread the way they're supposed to do it. Well, bless your little judgmental heart. You see what I'm talking about? It's, it's the lack of respect. It's the it's a writing somebody off because they don't meet your criteria. So we need to respect diversity. But we demand solidarity. And here's the deal. This is how it closes. Paul gives us the point at which we rally for solidarity. Verse 12 and 13, Matt. For just as the body is one and has many members, there's the diversity. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, that is a capital S on the word spirit there, we might just go ahead and pull off of our whole theology of the Trinity and we can say safely that Paul says, and I'll just change the word there because it, I think it's acceptable, for in one God, capital G, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, there's your diversity. Slaves or free, there's your diversity. And all were made to drink of one spirit. Here's the deal. We could sell ourselves out to diversity. In an age of tolerance, we could write ourselves right out of being effective as people of Jesus Christ. That's not an option for us. So the point at which we rally is the foot of the cross. There is one king. This is his kingdom. And we come together Unified, we demand solidarity on the point of we are followers of Jesus Christ and none other. It's not about me getting my way. It's not about you getting your way. It's not about you, somebody else getting their way. This is about Jesus and us following him. So what will it take for us to pull this off? 
How do we move past the spirit of the age that says everything goes, anything goes, or the other extreme is only what I say goes? I believe for us to get this value right, respect diversity but demand solidarity, for us to get this one right, it is going to take a lot of growing people This is a mark of maturity. This is why we had to deal with the growing stuff before we got to some of the harder stuff in these values. But here's, if we get this right, it'll be better than remember the Titans. Those guys won a state championship in football when they decided to respect one another. What might God do through a church who's committed to respecting each other? I say, let's be that church. Let's find out. Let's pray. So, Lord, here we are again, finding ourselves exposed in your word. So help us to get it right. For those who are here today who have never met you at the foot of the cross, we pray that today, even even right now, that your spirit would be so digging on them that they just are totally uncomfortable and recognize their need to put their trust in Jesus Christ, to surrender to the King who gives life. So, Father, if that's happening in any place in this room right now, I pray that you would do great work there. Draw people to yourself. Father, all of us need this reminder. All of us need to make that daily choice that says, even though you're my brother and you don't do it the right way, you're still my brother. And I will love you and I will treat you as if you matter, even though we disagree on this. Make us what we need to be. Move in hearts, change lives today is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we go to our invitation time, and here's how that works. I'm going to ask you to stand.